Hi, I'm Mara Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Now, if you are listening to the podcast as you normally do, there's absolutely no change. You cannot tell that there's anything different between this show and all the 360-something previous shows. But, <laughs> if you are watching on YouTube, this is very, very different. We're starting something really, really new with being able to broadcast our podcast now. So, as you can see, I'm coming to you from our back room here at TeachMeToTalk.com. We have new sets for our podcast and for Therapy Tip of the Week that are being built out there. <laughs> so, pardon any noise that you might hear with construction today. Uh, but we're coming to you from our new mission-based clinic here in Central Kentucky, and I'm so excited about it. But as I already said, we're under construction, but we didn't want to wait any longer to be able to bring you all the new exciting things that we have going on here at Teach Me To Talk. One big thing is that we are greatly expanding our continuing education offerings, and that includes getting CE credit for the podcast. So look for more information about that in the next few weeks, and you can always find out anything going on at teachmetotalk.com at our website, or better yet, join my email list, and you can subscribe right there at teachmetotalk.com. All right, so let's move on and talk about today's topic. For most shows now, you'll also be able to print a, a PDF, just a little one-page PDF, to uh, use as reference, which is very, very helpful if you are a therapist working with families, either in a state early intervention program and doing home visits, or even in a clinical setting, or preschool. And so I love that we'll be able to offer that too as well. And that will piggyback with the information that you'll need if you want to go ahead and file for uh, CEU credit too. So look for that. And again, those things may take a little while if you were just listening to the podcast. Uh, today is May 11th, 2019. If you were listening in the next week or so, all of those pieces may not be pulled together yet, but, but you'll be able to get that. You will be. All right, so let's move on and talk about today's topic, which I'm really, really excited to discuss with you. It's red flags for delayed communication skills in infants and toddlers. And so I think this show is so important, especially for parents. And if you have found us on YouTube or through the podcast and you are wondering, should I be concerned about my child? Should I, is there a reason to worry? Should I have a discussion with a pediatrician about this? I want to give you some really really, really objective things to look at and things that you can do right now as a parent and really start to observe with your own child over the next few days or things that you know about your child's history. You'll be able to really, really look at that and, and know, gosh, is this a big deal or is this not a big deal? I'll also be giving you some age ranges here so that you can know what is age appropriate or what what should I expect by a certain age and again this is infants I think our first milestones here are with babies at about the six month level all the way through nearly three 30 months to three years old so we're going to talk about this huge range of communication skill development during this time frame this is why this is so important this time frame, birth to three, and even some, some sources say birth to five, but let's think about just birth to three. This is the optimal time for learning language. So when a child starts to have these little red flags, these little warning signs that start to go off, that you start to think, wow, you know, if you'll read a checklist on the internet or your doctor starts to ask you some questions and, and you start to think, well, no, he doesn't do that, or no, she can't do that yet, you... you Part of you doesn't want to worry at all, <laughs> but part of you has that nagging feeling inside that says, is this a big deal? How will I know? This list is really, really, really going to give you a more definitive answer with that. And with any kind of checklist that you do, the more things that your child isn't doing, it means the issue is a little more serious. So if you start to listen to this, and gosh, I think this list has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 10, 11, 12. There are 12 things on this list. If you start to listen and your child is not doing five or six of the things that he should be doing and he's two, that's a big deal. So I want you to pay attention to that. If there's just 
one or two little things that are missing, or, or I'll tell you this, sometimes these skills, we need to think about them in two different ways a qualitative way and a quantitative way. Now you might not have thought about the, what those words really, really mean, but quantity always deals with how often, the number, how often does something happen. So if you are listening to this and thinking, well, she just talked about whatever the skill is. Let's just say using gestures and waving bye-bye. You know, he waved bye-bye one time a couple of weeks ago, but I haven't seen him do it again. That would be a quantitative difference. He's not there yet because he really hasn't mastered that skill. So I want you to think about quantity as you are moving through uh, this checklist. The other thing I want you to think about is quality. So how well does your child perform this? Is, is he doing the same kind of skill or the same kind of um, just when he's doing this, is he doing it as well as other babies his age or as well as I'm talking about here? And I'll give you examples as we go. But I want you to really, really think about that But for two reasons. First of all, as a parent, it is so hard to be objective about our own children. Now, sometimes we can do it because we are scared <laughs> and we are afraid that, oh, no, this could really be a problem and I really, really don't want it to be. And I'm going to dig really deep here and look really closely and see if this is something that I need to be concerned about. Sometimes that is the other way. We can't be objective about our own children at all because we're so blinded by our love for them and our devotion to them. And so that's why thinking about these skills in terms of quality and quantity will really, really help you with this because you'll be able to think, well, he doesn't do that very much. She sounded like he should be doing that all the time. She sounded like other babies his age don't, don't just do that once in a while or once in a blue moon. She sounds like that should be more consistent. So think about it in that way. Or think, hmm, he does this, he does this skill that she's talking about, but again, something's a little, a little uh, off about it, or it's not quite as mastered, you know, it lo just looks like it's sort of emerging here. So you'll think about it in that way, too. For therapists, this is really, really important for us, too, because we work with children with delays all the time, and most of us, by nature, are optimists. You know, why else would we have this job? We feel that we can really, really make a difference, and kids really get better. And sometimes we feel like when a skill is just emerging, that, oh, I'm going to give him credit for it and move on. He, he, he can do that. That's going to come in without me. Not so fast, because so many times with toddlers, we have children who have lots and lots and lots of splinter skills. And so they never really master, they never really achieve that level of competence that they need with these core communication skills. So I want you to think about it in those kinds of ways. And again, looking at these skills with the quantity and the quality will probably get you closer than if you just looked at this list and just dismissed it with, he can do that, he can do that, he can do that, without really thinking about it as in-depthly as you should. So let's move on now and start to talk about what these red flags are. And remember, these are just little warning signs. These are things that let you know gosh, things may not be coming together as we would like. And so in this show, we're talking about this. But in the next podcast, if you are um, really, really concerned about these things, and especially if you are a go-getter kind of parent, and you think, well, you know, he was missing three or four of these things. What can I do next? You know, I know that this is a problem, but we don't want to leave it there. I want to give you really simple, concrete things that you can do every day at home in your daily routines and activities that you already do with your child to work on these kinds of skills. Now, as a therapist, you know, we never teach the test. <laughs> you don't want to think about this like, well, let me make sure he's doing all of these things so that he passes and doesn't have any red flags. I'm not really saying that either, but I don't want to leave you, especially with parents, with nothing else to do after you find out, gosh, there are some concerns in the area of communication development. And as therapists, gosh, we are always looking for new ideas to share with parents. So as a therapist, I hope that you'll be able to tune into the next show for intervention strategies that you can use with families on your own caseload. All right, so I've taken a long time to kind of get us started on this list, but I wanted to make sure that we had that introduction so that you could um, understand what we're doing and really, really be able to use this information. So the first skill that we want to look for, or the first red flag that we would know, gosh, there's, there's potentially a problem here with how this child is learning to communicate, is difficulty making and maintaining eye contact with an adult by six months. 
So this is something that emerges in typically developing babies in the first several weeks of life. And certainly if I were looking at this, I probably would have said two or three months. So six months is pushed out. So we know that if a child, a baby, isn't really able to hone in on your face and maintain eye contact, and you know, what is eye contact? It's, it's this. <laughs> it's being able to look at you and you look at them at the same time and really exchange that eye gaze. That, uh, that's a big deal. So why is that a big deal? It's because it's the foundation for social skill development. And it's what we all need as we learn to tune in and pay attention to another person. And so one of the first things we do that is uh, in a nonverbal way, so without words. So how, how do I start to really, really interact with other people? I start by looking at them. So even as a baby, even as a six-month infant, we want children to be able to hold that eye contact with you and really, really listen to you as you talk and really... Um, this leads into the next skill, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, the next red flag is no big smiles or other warm, joyful expressions during interaction with another person by six months. So not only do we want them looking at you, we want them trying to respond to you. Now, of course, a six-month-old is not going to be able to talk or to <laughs> answer a question but they should be able to change their facial expressions as they talk with you. And certainly the, the adjectives that are used here, the descriptors are warm, joyful expressions. So we want a child purposefully looking at you and purposefully smiling back and returning your affection during that interaction. So that could be as you just talk to them, as you were just saying, you know, Hi there, hi there, Brittany, how are you? How are you today, sweet baby? As you are are purposefully interacting with them and being very intentional about getting their attention we want them focused back on you so if a baby isn't doing that by six months we know that there potentially is a big problem with how they are developing their communication skills and their social interaction skills so let me also say that these skills and this is important for you as therapists are pre-linguistic skills so that means pre means before and linguistic has to do with language so these are the things that come in before a child learns how to talk. And so we know that if these really basic core skills aren't developing as we expect, there is the potential for a language delay or a language disorder here. Now, as a therapist, that differentiation between delay and disorder should be second nature to you. And you should be using those terms with parents and really talking about it. And lots of times professionals use the terms delay and disorder interchangeably, but they're not really the same thing. Delay means there's a problem with timing. So a child is learning these things as expected in the correct sequence or the expected order. It's just slow, but it's different than a disorder. Disorder really means atypical development, meaning that things are present that you wouldn't normally expect to see or things are absent that you would want to see. So that's a really, really important distinction too. And so let's say with these two first indicators here, difficulty making and maintaining eye contact and then no big smiles or other warm, joyful expressions. Let we And here, our age ranges that we're using with this or the, the top age range is by six months. So what would happen if a child ends up doing this, but he didn't really start to consistently do it until he's nine months or 10 months, as we would see with a child with a significant neurological um, difference, so some, a medical diagnosis. So if a child had that, but he didn't start to do these things until he's nine or 10 months, that would be a delight because it's coming in, but again, because of that medical diagnosis, and that may not be the very best example, but it's a good way to kind of think about it and help a parent really understand this delay piece versus disorder, meaning that a child may make fleeting eye contact with you. He's two, he's three, he's, if he were here, he would just be all over, just all over the room. And occasionally he might look at me as he's running past me, but he's not really locking in with me. He's not really engaging. He's not really interacting like we would expect. And that would be more of a disorder. So I hope that you can take those two terms and kind of think about that too. And again, as a therapist, you should really be explaining those differences to parents. And sometimes even pediatricians will lapse into a habit of using the term delay 
without really expressing how severe it is or what a big potentially disruptive issue this could be with the child's development and so disorders that that would that would be a disorder so think about that too as a therapist how you want to work out using that with parents and really really work those different terms and differentiating those those terms um, into conversations with your parents so they understand it especially when you do know that there um, is a disorder there especially when you do know that this language issue isn't just a little delay that's pretty mild that will just resolve in a couple of weeks you know this when you're looking at something that's more term, long term like autism or the potential for autism or the potential for a significant language delay you need to start thinking about that and helping prepare parents psychologically and emotionally and one of the ways that we can do that is by using uh, correct terminology when we explain these things to parents alright so we've gotten the first two red flags which really were in that earlier infancy period difficulty making and maintaining eye contact and then no big uh, smiles or other warm joyful expressions during interaction with another person and those were both by six months so let's bump this up a little bit the next one is no back and forth sharing of sounds, smiles, or other facial expressions by nine months. So not only does a child make eye contact and then start to smile back at you and respond, he also doesn't have that reciprocity developing or that back and forth turn taking. So again, this should be coming in by nine months. So when we have a child who again is not really really staying focused with you who's not starting to exchange some sounds as you were talking with him and again this is so important not only for kids who are at that or babies at that nine month level but let's think about two-year-olds and three-year-olds who aren't doing this or even a child who's already had his first birthday if you're not hearing and seeing any of this back and forth and again it might just be some little sound effect things the little games that we play with babies let's say you fake cough that's one of the first little back and forth games that we often see with infants so a little <coughs> lots of ba most babies nearly all babies who are typically developing uh, love that they love to engage in that little game and they think that is hysterical when you do a little cough and they do a little cough and you do a little cough and they do a little cough and they should be able to go back and forth several times with you so let's talk about this why is that kind of thing important because it forms the foundation for communicating or for talking and think about how we have these how we have conversations with people it's not just someone does a big speech and then moves on that's a monologue, <laughs> that's a dialogue, if you think about it in terms of like a play, that's a speech. Conversation isn't like that, it's very interactive, it's very much based on I talk and you listen and then you talk and I listen and we start that even in infancy with beginning with sounds and smiles and other little things like a fake cough, like a little raspberry, a little that's what would happen. You would do it, the baby would do it. You would do it, the baby would do it. And again, we want that coming in by nine months. Now, I started talking about pre-linguistic skills, but got off. <laughs> I think, I, think uh, I do that anyway, but the camera might be throwing me a little bit today. But th these kinds of things, these skills are all super, super important pre-linguistic skills, meaning that they form the foundation to help a child learn how to communicate, learn how to talk. Uh, and, and we'll talk more about communication and the different facets of that as we walk through this list, but certainly pre-linguistic skills are really, really important and they actually predict, if you want to think about it in these terms, when first words will emerge and when a child will really, really begin to participate in what we consider to be a communicative interaction. And I have a great list for that too. This list that we're using today, again, really the red flags. And I don't know if I mentioned that you can get that at teachmetotalk.com at my website, or if you're watching on YouTube, you can get that by looking at the, for the link in the post below. But I also have some other information that's from a therapy manual that I wrote in um, 2017 called Let's Talk About Talking. And it is, as you can see, it's a whopper of a book. Uh, and actually, it lists all 11 pre-linguistic skills 
that toddler's master before words emerge. And so that book, these things, these red flags that we're talking about are certainly represented within that list of 11 skills that toddlers master. And I wanted to mention that book because if you're a therapist, that's how we should be talking to parents about it. With we, We're not going to worry about hearing words yet because your child is missing all of the pre-linguistic or the foundational skills that would come first. And so that's a super, super resource. And let me just say with Let's Talk About Talking, it's not always available. <laughs> So, uh, but because it's so big and just because of the uh, issues that we have with production with that, but you could always uh, look at Teach Me to Talk and, and when it's available, you need to get it because it really will tell you and teach you ways that we can work on these things. And we're going to talk about some of those, like I said, in next week's show. But just for right now, I wanted to point that out to you and talk about that these red flags really are tied into what, what children are learning, again, before they begin to communicate. And as a therapist, you do need to think about that. This is all under the umbrella, or these first few, anyway, of pre-linguistic skills. All right, so we have the first three red flags there. Difficulty making and maintaining eye contact. No big smiles or other warm, joyful expressions. The third one, no back and forth sharing of sounds, smiles, or facial expressions. So let's look at our fourth skill here that we're looking for. Our fourth red flag would be no babbling by 12 months. So what is babbling? That's just the jargon or the, the baby talk or the, just the making sounds when it's not really words yet, but a child is really, really trying to talk. Now that's an expressive language skill and that makes sense to you, expressive, what a child can uh, communicate to you, what he expresses, and that can either be verbally or non-verbally. We've been talking about a lot of non-verbal things to this point, but now we're really ready to talk about more verbal things. So this is when he's vocalizing with intent, and this is what I started to do a minute ago, but I, I, I didn't really get there. <laughs> These 11 skills that are listed that we're linking with the red flags, we'll do that more in next show, but this skill is actually number eight, vocalizes or makes sounds perfectly, uh, uh, purposefully. So when we have a child who isn't babbling by 12 months or by that first birthday, we know that that's a red flag. Why? Because that's usually the age when children start to use words purposefully. We start to hear their first words. They're saying things like mama and dada and bye-bye and no. And so if we aren't hearing those words yet, what would be that next little skill under that? It would be babbling or making noise with intention or with a lot of purpose. So that's why this is really, really listed as a red flag. So if we don't even have, uh, a child isn't jabbering by 12 months, we know that that's a problem. So again, if you are a parent watching this and you have a two-year-old who's not very vocal, excuse me, you know that that's an issue. We need to hear that babbling there. Um, let's go back for a second and talk about the, the previous three um, skills that we that we were talking about before and again I'm being pretty repetitive with this because I do want you to hear me talk about what each of these things are not only so that you have a good idea of what you're looking for skill wise so that you're not just real dismissive of it when a child really isn't mastering the things that these skills are the the foundational pieces here but I also want you to really um, I'm being repetitive so that you can really, really think about it and so that you can have a good idea, again, without being dismissive, again, without giving your child credit where he doesn't really need credit yet, where these things aren't really mastered, where those skills aren't real strong yet. But also, for some parents, you might need the reassurance of just hearing me say, back and forth, sharing of sound smiles and other facial expressions where you really think, well, you know, now he really does do that. I'm not giving him enough credit here. So there's kind of purpose in this repetition too. And this is how adults learn. And so especially if you're a therapist, I want you to keep that in mind too. You can't just say these things to a parent one time and expect them to really, really assimilate all of that information and even process all of that information. So if you repeat things, several times. The, the uh, research tells us that adults have to hear things at least seven times before we commit that to memory. Now, I don't want to be quite that repetitive today, but I do want you to hear these things so that you can understand just how important they are. So if we were looking back at the no back and forth sharing of sound, smiles, or other facial expressions, and if we're thinking about what does that relate to pre-linguistically, that's turn-taking, and that's imitating, and that's how babies do learn how to imitate. 
And imitation is copying or repeating what they hear another person say or do. And that's how all of us learn everything we ever learn is by copying or, do, or doing what we see or hear someone else do. So that's what that third red flag would have been. So when we don't see a child, that nice exchange of sounds and smiles and other facial expressions, when we don't see that, we know that imitation is disrupted and we know that turn taking is disrupted. If we don't see, uh, like we were talking about before, the, the skill number two and skill number one, difficulty making and maintaining eye contact and no big smiles or other warm, joyful expressions, that child is having difficulty learning to respond to people. And that's pre-linguistic skill number two. So again, we can take this just little uh, more general term or more general list or checklist of red flags and they go back and really, really link it to solid research with what pre-linguistic skills that we need to see in toddlers before they begin to speak. So that's how I want to tie that together. I've been trying to do that for, what, 20 minutes now? And we finally got there, so <laughs> we're there now. All right, so the next one, number five, no back and forth gestures such as pointing, showing, or reaching, or waving by 12 months. So let's say that you're listening and you have a 16-month-old or an 18-month-old who's not waving bye-bye yet. Is that a big deal? Yes, that's a big deal. Gestures always predict the emergence of words, and that is so well documented in the early uh, speech-language development literature. We always see gestures emerge first. It's very, very, very predictive. And so if we have children who are over the age of 12 month, months and not using gestures, we know that a couple of systems have been disrupted. Again, it's an expressive language skill because that's what pointing is. I'm expressing to you that I want you to look at something or give me something or um, even just um, in some way wanting you to direct your attention to that. So that's a joint attention skill as well. Children who don't have joint attention, who aren't able to pay attention to what you are showing them or getting them to try to listen to you as you talk to them, are at a serious disadvantage for learning language. We see that often in children who go on to be diagnosed with autism. When they were infants, when they were one, when they were two, it was really, really hard to get them to pay attention to anything and to share that experience with you. So let me give you an example of this for joint attention. It would be if a child were here with me right now and I was trying to get them to look at my cup and, and here and they were all over. They were looking at the scissors and they were here with my pens and they were looking at the screen and trying to climb on my lap and jump, jump here on the shipping table. <laughs> but I couldn't get them to look at the cup. That's an example of really diminished joint attention. And again, that is so critical for language learning. So we want to see these gestures not only as evidence that they understand I can do things to show you what I want. I can do things with my little body without even talking to express to you uh, what, what I need and what I want here. So again, it's an expressive language skill, but it's also a really important attention skill or social skill, that joint attention piece. So really, really critical for language development. All right, let's move on to the next skill. And this one is huge. It's no consistent responding to their name by 12 months old. Now, this is a big marker also for autism. And lots of these other things have been markers as well. Lots of children who go on to be diagnosed with autism as toddlers or as preschoolers we're missing these key components, even back as early as six months, as nine months, as 12 months. And even though the, the, we can reliably diagnose autism now at two, but the average age for diagnosis for autism in the United States even is actually four. But this is really, really important to know that those markers have been there all along, even if a parent didn't know what to call it yet. And so I don't want to scare you if you're watching this as a parent and you think, oh my goodness, you know, he is, my child is two and he's not doing these things like she's describing that a six-month-old should do or a nine-month-old or a 12-month-old. Um, I, I, again, I don't want to cause you great panic with that, but I do want you to know that it's a pretty big deal. And so not responding to your name by the time you have your first birthday is a pretty serious marker that something is not going on with communication. Uh, development. And so we can think about that 
as a receptive language skill. We've talked about expressive language, meaning what can I do to help you understand the message that I'm trying to convey. Receptive language is the comprehension part or the processing part. Do I understand that uh, if my name is Laura, and so if someone is saying, Laura, Laura, do I turn and look? Do I try to figure out who's talking to me? Have I recognized, have I linked that that, that name, Laura, is me? Have I assigned meaning to that? So that's also a cognitive skill. Or, you know, cognition is generally how we think about how smart a person is. So how does he think? How does he learn? How does he remember? And so not responding to your, uh, your name by the time you're a year old is a pretty big deal because other babies are really consistently alerting to their names much, much sooner than that, usually by the time they're about four months old. And they, most babies really by the time they're nine or ten months old are really looking, when, especially when they hear their mothers or their, their fathers, their primary caregivers. When their name is called from across the room, they are really, really looking. And one of the classic indicators of autism is a child who doesn't respond to his name. And you may think he is the smartest kid in the world. He can just work his little iPad and he can find things and he seems to remember where things are. But then there's such a big disparity there with their skill level because they're not responding to their own names. And again, that is something that we consistently see in toddlers and preschoolers who are diagnosed with autism. We have to work really, really hard to get them to consistently respond. And it is not only a receptive language skill, not only a cognitive skill, but it's certainly a social interactive skill. So super, super important. And so if you're listening and you, you have a child that you're concerned about who's not responding to his name, that's something to really, really pay attention to and think, boy, this is a big deal. And if you're a parent, it's something to certainly talk to a pediatrician about as you're expressing concerns with language development. Now, sometimes our doctors aren't as responsive as we want them to be. And so we go in with kind of our list of concerns, and sometimes we're met with, let's just wait and see. Let's wait till at least two. You know, you've been, as a mom, you've been talking to your pediatrician about this, you know, at the 12-month checkup, at the 18-month checkup, and now you're back... You know, you don't even want to wait until he's two. This is one of the things that you could say is, I cannot get him to consistently respond to his name. Doctors will normally perk up when you're saying that. Now, sometimes they're going to think, well, he's just busy. He just not, doesn't want to listen to you or doesn't want to pay attention or doesn't want to mind you. But you have to really convince a doctor that's not it. There is something else going on, and I need someone else to help me with this. I need an evaluation with a speech language pathologist or with an early intervention program so that I can figure this out. And again, that the indicator of responding to their name is a really, really important one. And so if you can't get your doctor to really pay attention to your concerns as that you are noting with your child's language development, that's certainly one of the things that you can talk about because it is such a well-known marker. Even that separates children with uh, just language delay. So children that just might be behind in how they're learning to talk or they may have some receptive language gaps, meaning they're not linking meanings with words, not their comprehension is delayed. And so they're not following directions as well as you would like for them to. Those, those kinds of things are common with language delay, but when we add that they're not responding to their names, that really more heavily leans toward autism. So physicians know that, especially with the, uh, in the United States with the big ACT Early campaigns that the uh, Centers for Disease Control has really done a great job with autism education. So again, that's something as a parent that you can really talk to a professional about and, and that, that makes people perk up when you say, gosh, he won't even really respond to his name. So that, that's another big one. All right, the next red flag no words by 18, or I'm sorry, no words by 16 months. So remember a few minutes ago when we were talking about babbling and we said that we wanted a child to babble by the outer age range for that is by 12 months. And remember when I said that that 12 month marker is really important because that's when typically developing babies are using at least one word on their own. And, and truth be told, Babies who are advanced or who are really kind of ahead with their language are, have several words by that first birthday. So when we get to 16 months and we still haven't heard the first real word, that's a cause for concern. And, and let me just give you the reference with typical development. 
by 16 months, kids should have 10, 15, 20 words, so more than a handful. So, and by 18 months, typically developing children have at least 50 words. And so when we are saying no words by 16 months, that, that's when you really wanna pay attention to that. So again, if you're a parent with a 22-month-old or a 24-month-old or a 30-month-old, who's not using any words yet, please don't dismiss that. This is a really big red flag for delayed expressive language. And so you, you, you wanna pay attention to that. And that's something that as a therapist you can share too. And we always kind of joke about this as a speech language pathologist and occupational therapist or early intervention specialist, whatever your field may be. We'll say that people kind of know that that's what we do and they track us down in the grocery store or at church or wherever we are and say, you know, my child isn't talking yet. And we usually will say, or, or my child is slower learning words and we'll say, how many words does he have? Or how, we really need to start with how old is he? And, and one of the things that we really need to really talk to parents about is if we hear that a child has no words by 16 months. As a therapist, that should really send off alarm bells in your head. And this is something that we should really be committing uh, to memory. If we are not hearing any words by 16 months, we don't need to think about that. I mean, it really might be a language delay, and, and that's, that's all it is. It's an expressive language delay. But, um, and, and so, you know, sometimes it really, really is, but, but it's a big marker. My point here is that it's a big marker that we should be using for that no words by 16 months. So that's certainly something you should be thinking about as a therapist. All right, the next red flag here for delayed communication skills in infants and toddlers is no following simple and familiar directions by 18 months. So this is receptive language. So we talked about this a little bit a minute ago when we were talking about children not responding to their names by 12 months. And so by 18 months, we want kids following those routine directions that we hear, they hear every day. Give me your cup. Where are your shoes? Go find your ball. You know, put this in your room. Give me your, you know, we're gonna put your socks on. Hold up your foot, help mama. Those kinds of things children should really be doing by 18 months and really consistently. And again, if a child is typically developing, he's doing lots of different things by 18 months with following directions. You can say to him things like, you know, go find Goodnight Moon, your Goodnight Moon book, go get that. That's a book that's really, really familiar to him. Or if he really likes his trains, you can say, you left your trains by the bathtub, remember? Go get your trains, they're in the bathroom. And they can do that. They can go follow that kind of direction. So when we see children who aren't doing that by 18 months, we know that there's a problem with understanding language. And what's the big deal about not understanding language? It's a very big deal because kids cannot say words or use words to communicate until they understand what words mean. And don't let anybody talk you out of that. <laughs> and this is a really common thing with children with autism. They can say a lot of words but not use those words to communicate. So they may be looking at a book or a puzzle. I don't have any toys here in the back room. But they may be able to sit down with, let's say, a transportation puzzle and name boat, um, airplane, choo-choo, car, garbage truck. But then when you say to them, maybe not with the puzzle, they might know it with the puzzle or might be able to do it with the puzzle, but then you say to them something like, there's some trains over there, go get that train, and they have no really idea of what you're talking about there, and they're not able to follow a direction like that. So there's such a gap between what they can say and then what they understand, and that, that's really, really abnormal because children with, with typically developing language skills, and even children with speech-language delays, when that's all that's going on, there's no other secondary diagnosis with that, or no other primary medical diagnosis that, or, or developmental diagnosis like autism, they, those kinds of kids, even kids, typically developing kids, and even kids who just have speech-language delays, their, their receptive language, or what they understand, is greater than their expressive language, so they can't say as much as they know or as much as they understand. So when that's reversed, when children are saying more than you can get them to follow directions with, that's a big red flag for, uh, 
or basically autism or a communication, a big disorder here with how they're learning language because it's so different from what we typically expect to see. Typically developing toddlers understand much more than they can say. That's when parents start to spell things in front of their children because if you say to them things like, do you want to go outside? Oh, and or, or you're, that's not a great example. If you say to, if you're a mom and you say to your the dad, hey, in a minute, after I do these other things, I think we ought to take him outside. For some kids as toddlers at 18 months, if they hear you say outside, they want to go now. And so we start to do things like, you know, do you want to go O-U-T-S-I-D-E? Or, or we'll say that to a dad, you know, I'm going to take him O-U-T-S-I-D-E. And <laughs> we spell it because we don't want the child to hear it yet because we know that he's going to understand what we're talking about. And so again, that's an example of how well Children, even children with speech-language delays who aren't saying very much yet, still understand pretty well. So we always want to pay attention to that, that receptive language piece or that language processing or language comprehension. All right, the next red flag, we're bumping up. Remember, we started at 6 months and 9 months and 12 months. We talked about some 18-month skills. 24 months, so by the time they're 2, if a child is not using two-word phrases, Without imitating or repeating, and he doesn't say at least 50 words on his own, that's a problem. So by that second birthday. So here's what lots of parents tell me have happened to them. They've talked to the pediatrician, at the, at, like we said before, at the one-year visit and then an 18-month visit, and they might have had a couple of illness-related visits in there, and the doctor's saying, how's he talking? And your mom says he's still not hearing very many words. I'm getting pretty concerned here. I, 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 I think you should be talking more. And the doctor's just been saying, wait, 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 wait. And then you go in for that two-year checkup, and the doctor says, does he have two-word meaningful phrases? Is he using phrases? And does he have at least 50 words? And you say no. And then the doctor acts shocked and starts to almost act a little bit alarmist. And you think... <laughs> I have been trying to talk to you about this for months now. And this is a big deal, though, because usually by two, that's the cutoff that a lot of pediatricians or those of us who are not in early intervention really, really use. You know, not only do we want a kid talking by two, we want him using words or using phrases and having at least 50 words. And so for some parents, they've gotten really disenchanted with their healthcare folks because they've been saying all along, uh, he's not saying very many words, and all of a sudden there's this big bump up. And, th and that happens too. I mean, that's based on development. Children's language explosions typically happen there between that 18-month and 24-month period. And so they do just start to learn new words at a very rapid pace. I mean, they can learn several new words in a day. And the reason that the 50-word milestone is so important is because that's when children begin to combine words to make phrases. So that's why they, these two skills are linked. So usually when you, we can get that, that core vocabulary bumped up to they are saying 50 words on their own. Now remember this said without imitating or repeating. So that means that they are not hearing you say it and then saying it, which by the way is a very important skill. Children learn how to imitate words before they start to use them on their own. But if they are solely imitating, like they can't say, cup without hearing you say cup first, that's a problem because by 20, by 24 months, not in that period leading up to that. So this is, remember, it's just a milestone that we're using here. We want phrases and at least 50 words by 24 months. Now, if you're a therapist, I don't want this to get lost on you. Remember when children are typically beginning to do phrases and have that 50-word vocabulary benchmark? That's in typical development. That's about 18 months. So we know if a 24-month-old isn't doing that, you know, the second birthday, that is a big deal because in my mind, there's already a six-month delay there. So that we've already built in extra time. We've already built in that wait and see time. We've already built in that time for individuality. Every child is different. All that stuff that we all say. <laughs> That 24-month uh, milestone here, that 24-month benchmark, 
really is kind of the outer level on that. So if we have a two-year-old that's not talking, it is a big deal. We want those children in an intervention program, whether that's individual therapy, whether that's uh, a group, little group therapy program, a playgroup program, or, or the most important thing is whether mom and dad are really committed to working with them all day, every day at home with helping them learn how to understand and use words. So it may not be that they are in a formal intervention program yet with a therapist, but as a parent, if your 24 month old or a child older than 24 months isn't using at least 50 words and isn't doing phrases, it is a really big deal. It is a really big red flag. And that's certainly a point when, again, most pediatricians are recognizing that and wanting you to go ahead and pursue that speech therapy evaluation. All right, we have two more red flags here, and these are for children who are beyond that two-year-old level. So by 30 months, if a child is not using back-and-forth conversational turn-taking, it's a red flag for um, delayed language development as well. And so let's talk about that. What does that mean, back-and-forth conversational turn-taking? That means that they answer questions so that you can say to them, what do, you, what do you want for dinner now? Do you want chicken or hot dog? A child should be able to answer that without just echoing chicken, hot dog, <laughs> or without, uh, again, having to hear you say that, or without having to hear you, well, not say that, but having, uh, having you show them what you mean. They need to be pretty well versed in conversation by that point where they are answering questions. Now, sometimes kids are gonna, at this point, they're not really able to tell you things like, what did you do at preschool today? They're not able to sit down and do that kind of thing because that also involves memory and sentence formulation and those kinds of things. But just as you are sitting and playing with them and talking with them about whatever they're doing, let's say that you are playing with a truck together and you say, you're asking things like, what's that? And they tell you truck and, you, and they're rolling their truck or let's say that they banged their truck into your truck. You should, you should say something like, or they should be able to answer something like, what'd your truck do? And they should be able to say go or um, crash or some other little response. So even if it's a single word response, some other explanation or indication that they heard what you said, they understood it, they processed it, and then they were able to generate that answer to your question or say something back that was related enough, even if it's just to make a comment. If you're asking them something like, what are you doing? You know, they should be able, if, and they're trying to get dressed, they should be able to say something like, my shoe, if they're having difficulty putting their shoe on, or you say something to them, they, you know, they're sitting crying and something's obviously happened with, and again, obvious, so that you're looking at them, they're holding a toy that's broken, and you're saying, what happened? What's wrong? What, what, why are you crying? They should be able to come up with some, even if they're just holding up their, um, let's say that there's a book that they ripped the page or the page ripped off or they're upset about it. They should be able to say book or broken or, or let's say that their brother has hit them and they're crying and, and you come into the room and you say, what is going on here? Even to your 30 month old, so to your two and a half year old, you, they should be able to to let you know with some response there to say their brother's name if their brother hit them or whatever some kind of basic response or boo-boo or my arm or you know whatever happened there they should be able to respond well enough to let you know and that's again that we talked about that back and forth conversational turn-taking and remember what we said about that earlier is that we wanted children by nine months to be, to really start to do that intentional turn-taking with you where they're smiling back at you or whether they're using using sounds or even little uh, sound effect things like we talked about blowing raspberries or fake coughing. Remember, all that started way back even before they turned one. And so now we're up to the point where we want them really exchanging words with you, so up at two and a half. So can you see that a two and a half year old, if he wasn't great with doing that initial kind of turn-taking with you back before he turned one, how all this entire process has gotten pushed back and how all of that has become delayed. So that's a big deal. So when we have a two and a half year old 
who's not really able to do that back and forth with you, there are several things that could be going on. First of all, if he's not talking, he's not going to be able to answer questions. So that certainly is an expressive language delay. But more often than not, it's usually there's a component of a receptive language delay too. So he's not really processing or understanding what you're saying there. It could be a pragmatic problem. Now pragmatics for therapists, you know what that means. That means language use. For parents, you think about that in terms of how well does he, uh, again, use the words that he says. We talked about that in a, mi a minute ago when we were, I used the example of the puzzle. And I said a child, or a book, a child may be able to really label things, but when you ask them to follow directions with those words that they seemingly know, they can't do it. Well, it's the same kind of issue with a pragmatic problem. They may understand a word and they may be able to say the word, but they may not be able to use the word. And that's what this red flag um, indicator really, really refers to, is that being able to use their words to really, really communicate. And that's why lots of kids can talk but not communicate. And we've, we've talked a lot about autism here, and I don't really want this to be solely for autism, but these are certainly things that children who, who have, um, who will go on to be diagnosed with ASD have difficulty with this, and certainly our kids just with uh, receptive and expressive language delays will, will have trouble with this too. They, can, they may have components of language that have come together. They understand the word, but they can't really say it yet. And then beyond that, if they can say it, they can't really use it. So we have to always kind of look at what, what uh, an absent skill, what does it really mean? What's the core problem here? Is it that they don't understand? Is it that there's a speech delay where they're trying to tell you the word, but they don't combine their sounds together intelligibly so that you understand that it could be, you know, even an articulation problem. He's trying to answer a question. He's trying to respond to you in, um, with his words, but you have no idea of what he's saying yet because his speech intelligibility is so poor. And that is particularly a problem when parents don't even understand what a child is saying. So when you have a child that's like that, who's, uh, that's a real challenge for them, even at two and a half, that's a big deal. And you need to go ahead and get some professional assistance to help you get that resolved. We want that back and forth conversation piece happening by 30 months. All right, this last one, the last red flag that we're looking at for delayed communication skills in infants and toddlers is any loss of speech or babbling or social skills, meaning something like eye contact at any age. So loss of skills, let's talk about this. Lots of speech pathologists, I've seen it on several blogs, they'll say losing words is okay, children lose words. I completely disagree with that. Now sometimes a child may acquire a word as a toddler and then the context be removed and so he doesn't say the word again until the context that he's there and so he needs the word again. So let's take something like sand. Let's say a child has been at the beach on vacation and he's uh, 22 months old and he's learned the word sand and he was at the beach with the ocean and with the sun and so he said sand a lot and then you go back home and you're looking at um, a book or a magazine and there's sand there but there's no water there's no ocean there's no the context has been removed the environment's changed so it looks like he doesn't know sand but you take him back to the beach and you say sand one time, it's back, he's got it. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not losing a word. And so I hate it when professionals misintentionally <laughs> mislead parents like that, saying, oh, kids lose words all the time. No, they don't. And so this is why this is a really, really um, important indicator here, not only for autism and autism Kids with autism or who go on to be diagnosed with autism often have regression, meaning they used to say mama and then they stopped. You don't hear them say a word like mama ever again. And so can you see how that's a big difference with a kid who would quit using a word like sand when there was no reason to use the word sand versus a kid who quit referring to his mother by mama, by that label that we all use. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. So anytime a kid has 
started, you know, he has 10 or 15 words and all of a sudden something happens and he just doesn't use those words anymore, that's a big, big deal. I'll tell you another time that this indicator is also important. It's where a kid says a word one time and then never again. And that happens with apraxia. Where, and apraxia is a motor planning disorder or a speech disorder where a child, again, can somehow repeat the word or say the word or use the word one time and then you cannot get him to say it again for anything. You know, no amount of trying on your part is successful in getting him to say that. So anytime we have loss like that, it doesn't always mean autism, but it is not a part of typical language development. Uh, especially when the context is present, meaning that no situation has changed. It's not just an odd word like peacock. You know, they learn the word peacock at the zoo, and then you don't hear them talk about peacocks every day. Well, that's because there are no peacocks present. So you have to really, really use some common sense for that, too. So when children are taking a really, really familiar word and then losing it, that's a red flag, too. So I want you to really, really think about it in terms like that. All right, so that's our entire list, the whole list of red flags for delayed communication skills in infants and toddlers. We already talked about how important this skill set is for linking with the pre-linguistic skills that we know all toddlers master before true words emerge or before they begin to talk and use those words to communicate. So if you're a parent, and again, if your child is missing lots of these skills, I want to highly, highly, highly recommend that you speak with his or her pediatrician about this. Uh, the benefit of having our podcast now on YouTube is that lots and lots of people will have access to this information that haven't had access before. And so sometimes you might be living in somewhere outside of the United States or somewhere else where service, developmental services and educational services for children aren't as available as they are here in the United States or in Canada or Australia or the UK. And I want to really, really encourage you if you uh, have a child, you're parenting a child who is missing lots of these skills, get on it yourself. <laughs> Do what you can to uh, get yourself some more information about how you can help your child learn to understand and use words. You can do that, uh, again, the internet is fantastic for disseminating information like that. That's one of the blessings of living in this day and age where we do have information just so readily available to us at our fingertips. Um, There's so many uh, websites that are fantastic for that, that are good sources of information. Uh, certainly, if you were worried about some of these things that we talked about today and you kept hearing me say autism, 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 Certainly, there's so many good sites. Autism Speaks is a good beginning site for a lot of parents who want to get that initial information. Um, other sites, uh, too, you can just do a Google search for that. Hannon information is wonderful, hannon.org. You can get that there. And then I'll also just give a plug for my website, which is teachmeyourtalk.com. You can get just a wealth of free information there for uh, you as a parent when you are beginning this journey, when you need ideas, when you need strategies, when you need to know what to do. And let me just say, look for part two in this series. You know, this is the beginning part for these are the red flags that we have. Next show, we're going to talk about just some really beginning strategies that you, even at home as a parent, can do today to help your child begin to move past uh, some of these things that he or she can't really do yet or strengthen these skills. You may have a child who's, who's babbling a little bit, but you wanna figure out what can I do? What are some things I can do to really get that babbling going? Or a child who's starting to sort of use some gestures, but you think, what can I do? How can, how can I make this stronger? How can I help him at home? Uh, next show, we're gonna talk about that. So I hope that you'll come back and join me for that. All right, so if you're a therapist and you want continuing education credit for this course, uh, CEUs currently are pending for this at the very uh, beginning of this whole new process of uh, broadcasting with video our uh, podcast, but take a look in the uh, post below on YouTube and you'll get that information. We also have a post about this at our website at teachmetotalk.com. If you're listening by podcast uh, through iTunes, You'll have to get that information otherwise. Uh, but part two of this show will um, also kind of help you move along with that. And so I want to be sure to get that plugged in too. All right, that's it for today. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist. And thanks so much for joining me 
for teachmetotalk.com's podcast. Have a great week.